Hello, I'm Peter Neophotis. And I'm Lishan Huang. And welcome to Forgotten Stories to be Remembered. This is a podcast that we're starting because we want to tell stories from yesteryear that may have been forgotten, that we think are really great and deserve to be remembered, particularly in, in these times which seem to lack any sort of memory. Today we've chosen a story that is from Japanese folk tales, right, Lashon? Yeah, it's a Japanese folk tale translated into English by Ye Theodora Ozaki. All right, and so we're going to talk about it after we read it, but we're going to do this as a table reading, a community reading experience. So we're going to actually be switching on and off between the different parts of the story. Okay, I think we can begin. Great, let's do it. Long, long ago in Japan, there lived an old man and his wife. The old man was a good, kind-hearted, hard-working old fellow. But his wife was a regular crosspatch who spoiled the happiness of her home by her scolding tongue. She was always grumbling about something from morning to night. The old man had for a time ceased to take any notice of her crossness. He was out most of the day at work in the fields, and as he had no child for his amusement, when he came home, he kept a tame sparrow. He loved the little bird just as much as if she had been his child. When he came back at night after his hard day's work in the open air, it was his only pleasure to pet the sparrow, to talk to her and to teach her little tricks, which she learned very quickly. The old man would open her cage and let her fly about the room, and they would play together. Then when supper time came, he always saved some tidbits of his meal, which to feed his little bird. Now one day the old man went out to chop wood in the forest, and the old woman stopped at home to wash clothes. The day before she had made some starch, and now when she came to look for it, it was all gone. The bowl which she had filled full yesterday was quite empty. While she was wondering who could have used or stolen the starch, down flew the pet sparrow, and bowing her little feathered head, a trick which she had been taught by her master. The pretty bird chirped and said, It is I who have taken the starch. I thought it was some food put out for me in that basin, and I ate it all. If I made a mistake, I beg you to forgive me. Tweet, tweet, tweet. You see from this that the sparrow was a truthful bird, and the old woman ought to have been willing to forgive her at once when she asked her pardon so nicely. But not so. The old woman had never loved the sparrow, and had often quarreled with her husband for keeping what she called a dirty bird about the house, saying that it only made extra work for her. Now she was only too delighted to have some cause of complaint against the pet. She scolded and even cursed the poor little bird for her bad behavior, and not content with her using these harsh, unfeeling words. In a fit of rage, she seized the sparrow, who all this time had spread out her wings and bowed her head before the old woman to show how sorry she was, and fetched the scissors and cut off the poor little bird's tongue. I suppose you took my starch with that tongue. Now you may see what it is like to go without it. And with these dreadful words she drove the bird away, not caring in the least what might happen to it, and without the smallest pity for its suffering. So unkind was she. The old woman, after she had driven the sparrow away, made some more rice paste, grumbling all the time at the trouble, and after starching all her clothes, 
spread the things on boards to dry in the sun, instead of ironing them as they do in England. In the evening, the old man came home. As usual, on the way back, he looked forward to the time when he should reach his gate and see his pet come flying and chirping to meet him, ruffling out her feathers to show her joy, and at last coming to rest on his shoulder. But tonight the old man was very disappointed, for not even the shadow of his dear sparrow was to be seen. He quickened his steps, hastily drew off his straw sandals, and stepped on to the veranda. Still no sparrow was to be seen. He now felt sure that his wife, in one of her cross tempers, had shut the sparrow in its cage. So he called her and said anxiously, Where is Miss Sparrow today? The old woman pretended not to know at first, and answered, Your sparrow? I am sure I don't know. Now I, I come to think of it, I haven't seen her all the afternoon. I shouldn't wonder if the ungrateful bird had flown away and left you after all your petting. But at last, when the old man gave her no peace, but asked her again and again, insisting that she must know what had happened to his pet, she confessed all. She told him crossly how the sparrow had eaten the rice paste she had specially made for starching her clothes, and how when the sparrow had confessed to what she had done, in great anger she had taken her scissors and cut out her tongue, and how finally she had driven the bird away and forbidden her to return to the house again. Then the old woman showed her husband the sparrow's tongue, saying, Here is the tongue I cut off, horrid little bird. Why did it eat all my starch? How could you be so cruel? Oh, how could you be so cruel? Was all that the old man could answer. He was too kind-hearted to punish his shrew of a wife. But he was terribly distressed at what had happened to his poor little sparrow. What a dreadful misfortune for my poor little sparrow to lose her tongue, he said to himself. She won't be able to chirp any more, and surely the pain of cutting it out in that rough way must have made her ill. Is there nothing to be done? The old man shed many tears after his cross wife had gone to sleep. While he wiped away the tears with the sleeve of his cotton robe, a bright thought comforted him. He would go and look for the sparrow on the morrow. Having decided this, he was able to go to sleep at last. The next morning, he rose early, as soon as ever the day broke, and snatching a hasty breakfast, started out over the hills and through the woods, stopping at every clump of bamboo to cry, Where, oh where does my tongue-cut sparrow stay? Where, oh where does my tongue-cut sparrow stay? He never stopped to rest for his noonday meal, and it was far on in the afternoon when he found himself near a large bamboo wood. Bamboo groves are the favorite haunts of sparrows, and there, sure enough, at the edge of the wood, he saw his own dear sparrow waiting to welcome him. He could hardly believe his eyes for joy and ran forward quickly to greet her. She bowed her little head and went through a number of tricks her master had taught her to show her pleasure at seeing her old friend again. And, wonderful to relate, she could talk as of old. The old man told her how sorry he was for all that had happened, and inquired after her tongue, wondering how she could speak so well without it. Then the sparrow opened her beak and showed him that a new tongue had grown in place of the old one, and begged him not to think any more about the past, for she was quite well now.
Then the old man knew that his sparrow was a fairy and no common bird. It would be difficult to exaggerate the old man's rejoicing joy. He forgot all his troubles. He forgot even how tired he was, for he had found his lost sparrow, and instead of being ill and without a tongue as he had feared and expected to find her, she was well and happy and with a new tongue and without a sign of the ill treatment she had received from his wife. And above all, she was a fairy! The sparrow asked him to follow her, and flying before him, she led him to a beautiful house in the heart of the bamboo grove. The old man was utterly astonished when he entered the house to find what a beautiful place it was. It was built of the whitest wood, the softest, cream-colored mats which took the place of the carpets were the finest he had ever seen, and the cushions that the sparrow brought out for him to sit on were made of the finest silk and crepe. Beautiful vases and liqueur boxes adorned the alcove of every room. The sparrow led the old man to the place of honor, and then, taking her place at a humble distance, she thanked him with many polite bows for all the kindness he had shown her for many long years. Then the lady sparrow, as we will now call her, introduced all her family to the old man. This done, her daughters, robed in dainty crepe gowns, brought in on beautiful old-fashioned trays a feast of all kinds of delicious foods, till the old man began to think he must be dreaming. In the middle of the dinner, some of the sparrow's daughters performed a wonderful dance called the Sparrow's Dance to amuse the guest. Never had the old man enjoyed himself so much. The hours flew by too quickly in this lovely spot, with all these fairy sparrows to wait upon him, and to feast him and dance before him. But the night came on and the darkness reminded him that he had a long way to go, and must think about taking his leave and return home. He thanked his kind hostess for her splendid entertainment, and begged her for his sake to forget all she had suffered at the hands of his cross old wife. He told the Lady Sparrow that it was a great comfort and happiness to him to find her in such a beautiful home and to know that she wanted for nothing. It was his anxiety to know how she fared and what had really happened to her that had led him to seek her. Now he knew that all was well. He could return home with a light heart. If ever she wanted him for anything, she had only to send for him and he would come at once. The Lady Sparrow begged him to stay and rest several days and enjoy the change. But the old man said that he must return to his old wife, who would probably be cross at his not coming home at the usual time and to his work, and therefore, much as he wished to do so, he could not accept her kind invitation. But now that he knew where the Lady Sparrow lived, he would come to see her whenever he had the time. When the Lady Sparrow saw that she could not persuade the old man to stay longer, she gave an order to some of her servants, and they at once brought in two boxes, one large and the other small. These were placed before the old man, and the Lady Sparrow asked him to choose whichever he liked for a present, which she wished to give him. The old man could not refuse this kind proposal, and he chose the smaller box, saying, 
I am now too old and feeble to carry the big and heavy box. As you are so kind as to say that I may take whichever I like, I will choose the smaller one, which will be easier for me to carry. Then the sparrows all helped him put it on his back and went to the gate to see him off, bidding him goodbye with many bows and entreating him to come again whenever he had the time. Thus the old man and his pet sparrow separated quite happily, the sparrow showing not the least ill will for all the unkindness she had suffered at the hands of the old wife. Indeed, she only felt sorrow for the old man, who had to put up with it all his life. When the old man reached home, he found his wife even crosser than usual, for it was late on in the night, and she had been waiting up for him for a long time. Where have you been all this time? she asked in a big voice. Why do you come back so late? The old man tried to pacify her by showing her the box of presents he had brought back with him, and then he told her of all that had happened to him, and how wonderfully he had been entertained at the sparrow's house. Now let us see what is in the box, said the old man, not giving her time to grumble again. You must help me open it. And they both sat down before the box and opened it. To their utter astonishment, they found the box filled to the brim with gold and silver coins and many other precious things. The mats of their little cottage fairly glittered as they took out the things one by one and put them down and handed them over and over again. The old man was overjoyed at the sight of the riches that were now his. Beyond his brightest expectations was the sparrow's gift, which would enable him to give up work and live in ease and comfort the rest of his days. He said, Thanks to my good little sparrow. Thanks to my good little sparrow many times. But the old woman, after the first moments of surprise and satisfaction at the sight of the gold and silver were over, could not suppress the greed of her wicked nature. She now began to reproach the old man for not having brought home the big box of presents, for in the innocence of his heart he had told her how he had refused the large box of presents which the sparrows had offered him, preferring the smaller one because it was light and easy to carry home. You silly old man, she said. Why did you not bring back the large box? Just think of what we have lost. We might have had twice as much silver and gold as this. You are certainly an old fool, she screamed, and then went to bed as angry as she could be. The old man now wished that he had said nothing about the big box, but it was too late. The greedy old woman, not contented with the good luck which had so unexpectedly befallen them, and which she so little deserved, made up her mind, if possible, to get more. Early the next morning, she got up and made the old man describe the way to the sparrow's house. When he saw what was in her mind, he tried to keep her from going, but it was useless. She would not listen to no word he said. It is strange the old woman did not feel ashamed of going to see the sparrow after the cruel way she had treated her in cutting off her tongue in a fit of rage. But her greed to get the big box made her forget everything else. It did not even enter her thoughts that the sparrows might be angry at her, as indeed they were, and might punish her for what she had done. 
Ever since the Lady Sparrow had returned home in the sad plight in which they had first found her, weeping and bleeding from the mouth, her whole family and relations had done little else but speak of the cruelty of the old woman. How could she, they asked each other, inflict such a heavy punishment for such a trifling offense as that of eating some rice paste by mistake? They all loved the old man who was so kind and good and patient under all his troubles, but the old woman they hated and they determined if ever they had the chance to punish her as she deserved. They had not long to wait. After walking for some hours, the old woman had at last found the bamboo grove which she had made her husband carefully describe, and now she stood before it crying out, where is the tongue-cut sparrow's house? Where is the tongue-cut sparrow's house? At last she saw the eaves of the house peeping out from amongst the bamboo foliage. She hastened to the door and knocked loudly. When the servants told the lady sparrow that her old mistress was at the door asking to see her, she was somewhat surprised at the unexpected visit, after all that had taken place, and she wondered not a little at the boldness of the old woman in venturing to come to the house. The Lady Sparrow, however, was a polite bird, and so she went out to greet the old woman, remembering that she had once been her mistress. The old woman intended, however, to waste no time in words. She went right to the point, without the least shame, and said, you need not trouble to entertain me as you did my old man. I have come myself to get the box which he so stupidly left behind. I shall soon take my leave if you will give me the big box. That is all I want. The Lady Sparrow at once consented and told her servants to bring out the big box. The old woman eagerly seized it and hoisted it on her back, and without even stopping to thank the Lady Sparrow, began to hurry homewards. The box was so heavy that she could not walk fast, much less run, as she would have liked to do. So anxious was she to get home and see what was inside the box. But she had to often sit down and rest herself by the way. While she was staggering along under the heavy load, her desire to open the box became too great to be resisted. She could wait no longer for she supposed that this big box to be full of gold and silver and precious jewels like the small one her husband had received. At last this greedy and selfish old woman put down the box by the wayside and opened it carefully, expecting to gloat her eyes on a mine of wealth. What she saw, however, so terrified her that she nearly lost her senses. As soon as she lifted the lid, a number of horrible and frightful-looking demons bounced out of the box and surrounded her, as if they intended to kill her. Not even in nightmares had she ever seen such horrible creatures as her much-coveted box contained. A demon with one huge eye right in the middle of its forehead came and glared at her. Monsters with gaping mouths looked as if they would devour her, a huge snake coiled and hissed about her, and a big frog hopped and croaked towards her. The old woman had never been so frightened in all her life, and ran from the spot as fast as her quaking legs would carry her, glad to escape alive. When she reached home, she fell to the floor and told her husband with tears all that had happened to her and how she had been nearly killed by the demons in the box. 
Then she began to blame the sparrow, but the old man stopped her at once, saying, Don't blame the sparrow. It is your wickedness which has at last met with its reward. I only hope this may be a lesson to you in the future. The old woman said nothing more. And from that day, she repented of her cross, unkind ways, and by degrees became a good old woman, so that her husband hardly knew her to be the same person. And they spent their last days together happily, free from want or care, spending carefully the treasure the old man had received from his pet, the tongue cut sparrow. And again, that was The Tongue-Cut Sparrow from Ye Theodora Ozaki, from her book The Japanese Fairy Book, which was published in 1903. Over 100 years ago, it was translated, right? It's a much older tale than that, I think. Yeah, I think it's a traditional story. Uh, the author, the translator, was the daughter of a samurai who was sent to study in the, in the U.S. and then went back to Japan and translated stories. Wow. Well, I love that you picked the story for many reasons. I, I think I mentioned to you, I had a pet bird for many years, a little, mm -hmm. a little black-capped conure named Maya. And, oh, I still weep over losing that bird. She wasn't really a parrot as much as she was a flying monkey. Um, she, would, <laughs> she would land on me and crawl on my shirt. And when I was home, she lived on me. She lived in my shirt. She was in, the, the bird only really bit people when they would not pet her. Um, she, if you pet her, she was fine. She would just nibble on you with, but, um, you know, birds are such incredible beings. And I think this story touches on that because they're so different from us as mammals, right? We, you know, yeah. we, we expect that other mammals, elephants, dogs, even to have personalities and consciousnesses, but a bird is very different phylogenetically, yet they clearly elicit emotion from us. And they have emotions, uh, the songbirds amongst themselves, and of course the parrots. And to see depicted in this old story that connection between these vastly different branches of the phylogenetic tree, like my relationship with my little bird gave me, it gives you hope in the future of the world in some ways, because you think, well, God, if I can get along with something so different from myself and communicate so clearly, why are we as human beings having such problems? sometimes right yeah and there's some just general goodness there right the old woman learns her lesson at the end the birds kind of prank her with these monsters like everybody's fine at the end despite you know this initial uh cutting of the bird's tongue by the old woman and it's sort of like well nobody really deserved this but something out of like good luck and kindness uh ends up with a happy ending which you don't see a lot these days what's interesting about the tale and it's the tale doesn't seem to have a clear, um, I mean, it does have a moral lesson, but it's not written to have a moral lesson, right? If the old woman had never cut the tongue of the sparrow, the rest of the story wouldn't have happened. The old man would have just had this little bird and they would have, he would never have discovered that the sparrow was in fact a fairy. Yeah. And the treasures would never be revealed. And so really, this really, in a lot of ways, is the story of the old woman. And maybe, in some ways, when I was reading it last night, I was thinking, the sparrow, as much as we think it's there for the old man, 
it's the old woman who really changes. So the sparrow might have actually been the fairy for the old woman in that way. Mm. She's the one who who has the, the change of heart. Right. And really, the, the bird transforms. Right. And it's like, what is the the bigger treasure there, right? Is it the, the small box of the gold and silver, or it really is the, the life transformation and the newfound empathy that this old woman has? I think it's very clear that the latter is the treasure, right? Yeah. And the other thing that is curious is there's a part in the story where the old man says to the sparrow that he'll come back and visit her in the bamboo grove whenever he has the time. Mm. But once his wife has her transformation at the end, there's no reference to the man ever going back and seeing the little bird. Yeah. And so in a way, like it does feel like she is, she's there for the old woman and sort of this, what was called the changeling, right? These spirit animals or these changelings is the agent of change Mm. for her personality. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really. I didn't think about that. How we don't really hear like how the story wraps up for the bird. I mean, it, I think it was already sort of happily ever after once the bird returned home and uh, revealed herself to be a fairy. So it's almost like now with an empathetic, kind wife, the man doesn't need a pet anymore, right? It's yeah. like they have all the money they need. He has a kind wife, and so everyone can kind of live happily ever after, even if this original family unit uh, doesn't exist as a piece anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fairy doesn't need him because she has daughters and a, mm-hmm. a great big house with all these yeah, cushions servants, and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and there's dancing going on. I also want to say how, again, thanks for picking this. I, I, I think the story touches on, which I think a lot of people can touch on, how these animals do often serve as go-betweens in relationships that people have with their intimate sexual husband, wife, whomever, and how that can be good and bad. And in this case, it's a, it starts off in the story as a barrier between the husband and the wife, a point of conflict. But then at the end, it, is a, it sort of saves their relationship and how accurate that, that is for a lot of what is going on today. I think people have pets. And <laughs> I, I know for me, I had a, with my little bird, I had a relationship with someone while I had my little bird. And when that relationship dissolved, she was almost like this little reminder of Mm -hmm. what had also been there. And it was, it was sad that the person that the relationship had dissolved with never wanted to see the bird again. Oh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you did become like co-parents to this animal, right? They don't care about the, you know, I mean, or I don't know. I just, yeah, you're co-parents and, it was, but at the same time, the 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 little bird was kind of a reminder of the relationship that had once been there and we'd once had. And when she passed away, it was particularly very sad for me because it was like the end, mm. this last living reminder of this relationship really was, she was sort of the changeling, the spirit animal that had that I think had embodied a lot of the memories that I had with the person. Right. It's almost like it's another ending of that relationship, right? There's the ending of the human relationship, and then there's yeah. the real end with the bird dying. Because these pets that we have, they're so connected to so many of our private moments. 
in life. I mean, they see us change. My parrot would follow me into the bathroom. She'd fly into, you know, <laughs> or she wouldn't let me alone. And the people live that way with their dogs. My sister has dogs that follow around every. I mean, they really are part of our private lives in so many ways. And so, you know, I think that's part of the reason why we we mourn so much for them when they pass away, because it's you know a witness to so much of our lives has is gone, and and the witness to and we've witnessed a lot of their life too, you know. A, yeah, a lot of them. We get our puppies and little birds when they're really little, and so the things I wanted to talk about. In, in <laughs> yeah, this story. sorry if I've blabbed a lot about, but I, no, I mean it, it was like I liked the story because it was uplifting and it wasn't. It didn't go where I expected it to go, you know, in terms of like our usual feelings of justice. But also, I also am really attracted to these stories with like these changeling animal kind of characters which we see a lot of in japanese folklore as well like foxes and tanuki which are like these raccoon dogs they're they're also heavily um prominent in in japanese folk tales and so maybe we'll look for some stories with those too Absolutely. and they kind of become human and do all that and there is you know so much of our the so much of the stories that are derived from western literature right or Joseph Campbell and the hero, hero's journey, they fit right into this, that mold of the hero, you know, going through certain theories of transformation and whatnot, leaving the realm of the familiar. And this story has a quality to that, but it's definitely not that. And so yeah, many ways sure. too, it, because it doesn't fit in that outline that's just jammed down our throats through Hollywood all the time, right? Because they've gone with that script. They know it works for Star Wars. And so that that outline has been used over and over again for basically every movie in the last uh, few decades. And so it's nice to see a story that, that definitely takes you on a journey, but it's a different journey than I think we're used to. Yeah. Well... Thanks, everyone, for coming on this journey with us. All right. Yeah, so that's it. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to tell some stories about that you've never heard before, forgotten stories to be remembered. We've got a lot of different types of stories. Uh, we've, we're sort of building a, and we're going to try to do this regularly, but we're just getting started with this. So uh, be uh, forgiving if we uh, are not veterans of the process, but um, we both told some tales before. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we've got some more stories up our sleeve. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Bye bye.